You're listening to a Count Out Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wrestling with Statistics, the only show that takes the unique perspective of stats and analytics through the lens of professional wrestling. I am your host, as always, Ryan Nightsey. With me, as always, is the man behind Pro Wrestling Musings himself, Craig Lease. Craig, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Um, yeah, don't trying not to dwell too much on things this week as we did last week. It was a bit of a somber start to the podcast last week, and perhaps so it should have been, but we're going to try and... Um, focus in on um, the wrestling side of it this week rather than um, the ghouls and villains that we were having to reference last week. Yeah, yeah. Last week was, I mean, it's sadly it's still happening. Uh, And sadly, obviously we don't want to cause a too much distraction from the importance of that cause Um, because it is still very much important. We still very much believe all that stuff. But yeah, very somber start last week. And, you know, we got some exciting wrestling that's been happening past week and some exciting wrestling coming up, which we plan to talk about this episode. Um, but yeah, you know, a little little stress, a little somberness out of the way. Uh, you know, how, how, what, how have you been so far in the past couple of weeks in your, in your personal life? How is you're 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 off school, correct? Uh, yeah, so we well as of as of um, Friday, which was a bizarre, bizarre experience. Um, the kind of last day of term is usually like a buzz of activity. Activity as you try and get things sorted out, but it's kind of like sitting at home, <laughs> um, making a, a like video for Twitter of me being like, "Yeah, so this has been a strange year." Um, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, very strange. How about yourself? How are how are you doing? Uh, I'm fairly fine. Currently, I'm very tired. Um, my uh, this past week, um, this past week, I had an up and down, very much an up and down week. Um, Tuesday, uh, last Tuesday, we had to get surgery for my cat Jude. Um, nothing too bad. He had a he had a minor hernia uh, near his intestines, so nothing was really bulging out too much. They just had to stuff some fat back in. Right. So that's that's always fun. But he's fine now. You know, he's wearing a cone. And like all cats, he severely hates the cone. Um, he, so, so you know how cats like rub up against your leg when they want to like be pet or whatever? Yes. So he tries to do that. But because of the cone, he'll get like caught on your leg and he can't do a full <laughs> thing. So when he tries to do it too many times and he keeps failing... He then resorts to just like headbutting your leg, be like, "Hey, <laughs> pet me, please." Um, so that's fun. Uh, and then, yeah, and then last Friday was my uh, birthday, so I was able to, I-, I would say, celebrate it. But really, I just spent the day doing the same thing I have been doing for the past several months, but ate cake at the end of it. So pretty good, I guess. Cake would would you know does tend to improve things somewhat. Yes, I had the best cake of all time, and I will bring this to my grave. The best cake of all time, Craig, is of course Funfetti cake. I I don't know what that is. Wait, hold on. You don't know what Funfetti cake is? Funfetti cake. It it sounds like 
it sounds like a prop for a movie where confetti explodes out of a cake. That, <laughs> that sounds like a made-up thing. <laughs> uh, funfetti. It may, uh, maybe it's called somewhere funfetti. something different. Yes, funfetti cakes funfetti. are made are basically vanilla cakes, right? But there are sprinkles cooked in with the batter, cooked in with the cake, so that when you you know slice into the cake you have these, like, spots of, you know, colors throughout the actual cake. Funfetti. Ah, I see. Sounds, um, like it's for children. Uh, it is, and that's why I love eating it. <laughs> yeah, I'm a child. <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying on this episode. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, what an Amer- interesting Americans. start. <laughs> what an interesting start to this week's episode is me admitting to the world that I'm a child. Um... As you can tell, all I do with my days is watch wrestling and eat Funfetti cake. So, you know, not you know, not much is happening on this end of the earth. And, it, it, and nor should it, Craig. Nor should it. It's been a rough week for the world. And, you know what, I'm just going to eat some Funfetti cake. And you're, you know, you're going to have to lay off my back on this one. Well, you're finding a way to um, block it out, which everybody needs to do at some stage. Yes, you know, you're reading books and getting intellectually sound, and I am just ruining my kidneys. And To be fair, I've, like, struggled to read books all year, so the fact that I've managed to read, like, two books in the last month is an actual achievement. I mean, that's better than my one book that I've... Two books that I've been struggling... Not struggling through, but just haven't actually gotten the chance to push myself into reading over the past mm, two yeah. years, probably. Oh, oh dear. Okay. Yeah, I'm reading a book about uh, cursing and why cursing is a thing in language, or and rather, why do we add so much weight to cursing in language, which is very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then also another book by Tanache Coates, which is about uh, uh, race in America. So trying right. to trying to trying to do better, I guess. Um, Timely, very timely. Yeah. Um, yes, so uh, with all that out of the way, with all of that, the personal intro stuff out of the way, Craig, are you ready to talk about some wrestling? Yes, let's absolutely. Get down to brass tacks. Okay, well, let's open up the show first off with a wrestling bout all the way in Japan, all the way in New Japan, night three of the New Japan Cup, Craig. It was uh, several great matches. Night three, I would say, top down, it was a very great night. Um uh, compared to obviously many of the other nights, uh, I think night three was also the night that ha- was least affected by COVID slash travel issues. Um, so we we're able to get a lot of those uh, matches that we were originally promised back in March. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, one match that we were not promised, but still got, and was it was it a barnstormer? Yes, it was. Shingo Takagi versus Show of Rapongi 3K. Craig, just right off the bat, some first thoughts on this match. Um, so this was one that a lot of people were looking forward to seeing. Um, I suppose I was too, as I'd heard, like other people's expectations. Um, I only really watched the kind of final of last year's Best of Super Juniors. So I, I didn't have the previous encounter to kind of uh, bump up my expectations. But um, as far as, as the match went, this is one of the better matches that I have seen this year. Yeah, this was honestly a great match. Um, I've seen a couple show matches. Obviously, you know, Shingo pretty much tied with, like, Wrestler of the Year, at the very least in New Japan last year, um, I would argue. Um, 
show show has been stepping up he's been trying to step up and step out of Rapungi 3k a little bit step into more of a a you know single star role um you know changing up his look a little bit change up his entrance a little bit um and i thought he proved it here i i could i was watching this match i was thinking to myself i was like i would not be surprised if by the end of the year obviously depending on obvious circumstances if i wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year show is an iwgp junior heavyweight champion yeah yeah that's uh it's definitely possible he's he's definitely a contender for those kind of matches uh just whether or not anybody can really uh take off takahashi at the moment yes yeah that and that's a that's a huge point obviously you know on first on show's docket is after defeating the never open weight champion he's got that title uh looking for that looking forward to that title match um but looking at the match itself looking at the stat breakdowns of the match itself what are some key giveaways for you on why or why and how show was able to pull out the victory over shingo yeah so this was this was a big bit of a shock um i think i think a lot of people had taka uh takagi to to win the match a lot of people were kind of expecting him to break out with this tournament and then potentially challenge uh, Tetsuya Naito for one or two of his titles and have that kind of um loss in Grenoble's kind of um civil war type feud um so yeah it was a big big shock um show winning a lot of people's brackets went out of the windows um, but yeah, show show just um, beat Shingo here. He didn't. It wasn't a it wasn't a undeserved win. He outstruck him. He only um, was outdone by one grapple and two strike downs. He used submission far more effectively. He made Shingo use more reversals than Show had to use. Uh, show coming out with the overall offense um, used. Uh, lead over Shingo, 54% of the match's offense went to show. So yeah, show was really, he, he really stepped up and he really kind of put Shingo back in his place. Maybe Shingo wasn't taking show too seriously after stepping up to the heavyweight division. Yeah, I vaguely remember right before we were going into the New Japan Cup, right before all this was sort of happening, that there was this tally of tally of names generating that of people that wanted to uh, fight Shingo over the Neverweight Heavyweight title. I want to say it was like Evil. I want to say it was um, maybe Osprey was on that list as well. But I remember Sho definitely being on that list. I believe his reasoning was that he debuted as a young lion, I believe, on the same night as the Never Over Never Openweight Championship was debuted. So he sort of feels that it's his destiny to eventually win that title. And uh getting the win over Shingo. Yeah, like you said, a little bit of a bracket buster with Shingo losing. Um but yeah, I mean looking at these stats, I mean I you could tell that I I would argue that Shing uh Sho's game plan here was on the submission game, getting almost five times as many seconds on submissions than Shingo. Um yeah, and that's not really what you would expect from show in this match. Um, when you when you first looked at this graphic this morning, um, you you immediately picked out that there were no dives from show the yes. junior heavyweight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, zero dives from either man. I mean, obviously Shingo, you know, still a little bit of brawler kind of guy, but show of the junior heavyweight division of Rapungi 3K, I would expect some dives. 
I I guess what I would say from say from that is that like zero dives and a lot of submissions is that like yeah he is he probably thought to himself as like I have to change up my style if I'm going to be able to take down this guy you know take down the dragon Shingo um, yeah and um, perhaps perhaps the story here and um, looking at the flow of offense chart is that Shingo perhaps coming back from quarantine whatever it might have been was just out kind of like um out cardioed by show because if you if you have a look at uh at the flow of offense there there's one huge spike of offense from Shingo mm-hmm. as he kind of dominated show for a few minutes but then after that there are very very few red spikes but there are numerous kind of smaller blue spikes where um show was kind of taken over the match so it's almost as if show is just pushing and pushing and pushing mm-hmm. and shingo doesn't have the conditioning perhaps at this time of the year with all things considered to keep up with him sort of like a iron mike tyson uh uh what's the word not strategy but iron mike tyson temperament eh, maybe where iron mike tyson was famous for putting people away you know very quickly you know very very mm. much in like the first round or whatever you know if you're able to outlast mike tyson for a couple rounds you're going to be able to the the chance of beating him will be very you know very hot much a lot higher um because he starts you know getting tired you know he starts getting losing energy losing speed and yeah maybe that's the same thing as shingo you know he gets a huge burst of offense at the five minute mark but then never is able to get any sort of peaks for the you know at at any sort of point compared to show i mean literally shingo gets a peak and then show gets an even higher peak uh happens multiple times from after the five minute mark um yeah yeah absolutely um i don't know with with shingo i think he has taken part in quite long matches before and kind of dug out a victory um i was wondering if the if you were you know to build the storytelling around the statistic here it might be more of a show came back from quarantine with better conditioning whereas shingo perhaps as the older man um is struggling to um adjust to the kind of the rigors of new japan competition after being um away from the ring from kind of elite competition for the the duration of quarantine that is probably true i mean i I would love if that's if when they were setting up the match if like that they were thinking that that being part of it you know what i mean like i imagine some wrestlers are like oh i'm gonna come back and be you know really really strong i'm gonna be have all the endurance for it but i would love the idea if like when they were setting up the match shingo and show were like okay well one of us let's just be like one of us got really prepared and one of us just kind of took it lightly and just you know the the summation of of the pandemic and being off time i would love if that was the case yeah yeah and i I think this is also where like if um wrestling companies are going to start perhaps thinking about this kind of thing it is it is a tool for um building building stories you just kind of need to um because like we look at these statistics and we kind of build the stories around them um and it's it's not i mean if you it's it's not the most complex stories, but they're kind of subtler and more sports centric than you know. Wrestler X does such and such backstage to wrestler Y. Mm-hmm. You didn't happen to do the stats for the best of the su- you said. Oh, you said you just watched the finals last year, right? Yeah. 
So you did you ha- do you remember happening to do the Osprey Shingo stats for that match? Um, the I so no I I um I haven't got that no. Okay, I was gonna. Uh, it was kind of after that that this kind of started to come together. That's makes sense. Makes sense. I because I, I was thinking that that match was Shingo's first loss. Uh, singles loss mm-hmm. in the company since coming since joining the company and it was a 33 minute match so i was wondering if i was like i wonder if there's any consistency in that oh, in, I see. that yeah. endurance idea um but i guess i'll i'll we'll find out later maybe down the line maybe Shing- well i guess maybe not down the line because shingo's gonna be in tag matches from here until dominion but uh <laughs> i guess actually we'll find out at dominion now that i say that um okay well then there yeah any more thoughts on shingo show i thought yeah i thought it was a great match i thought show stepped up to the plate um as it were um you know changed up his offense a little bit to to you know wear down the dragon a lot more uh and was able to outlast him essentially um any 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 other takes for you craig um I think I think that's essentially what you can take from here. Um, I even thought at the end that Show was looking like he could um, take part in this kind of match more often if he could mm-hmm. kind of step up to heavyweight, but it's probably too soon for him and certainly doesn't fit the, the company at the moment with the kind of lack of um, junior heavyweights to take on Hiromu. Agreed. I think this definitely sets up the never title match at Dominion, but after yeah. that you know you need you i think show would be a great challenger for the junior heavyweight title um down the line i i think he can easily win at some point moving up to heavyweight uh i I, i'm scared that he might have you know the Kushida effect a little bit you know where you know as much muscle whatever he can put on he's he's very short compared to a lot of the other heavyweights i'm I'm scared that he might be stuck in the junior heavyweights like a Kushida moving sure yeah yeah possible but who who the hell knows? What am I? What am I, Gato? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that's New Japan. That's New Japan. Well, you know, we're uh, I guess we can say here uh, we're obviously looking to do more New Japan as it comes down the line. Uh, next week we'll talk more about some New Japan matches, um, especially the uh, quarterfinal semifinals. I think I think is what's coming up. Uh, it could be. Uh... I, I have to look up the actual god gosh darn charts. Um, but yeah, so that's coming up. And then, uh, I think the week after the week after that, or the week following that three weeks from now, whatever, we'll be talking about dominion, of course. Um, yeah. So the, uh, the first of July is the, um, rest of the, the second round, uh, second of July is all of the quarterfinals semifinals on the third. And then it's like six days later for the final. Um, but let's go away from Ju- New Japan, and of course, coming up this week uh, in the AEW territory, um, there well, there's there's two there's two promotions that are doing two week pay per view esque events, but we're only going to focus on the the current one that we like, and that is AEW uh, is doing another turn of Fighter Fest. Uh, they're they're coming back around. Uh, obviously, pre COVID, this was going to be planned to be in England. Uh, and now it's happening in Jacksonville, baby. Jaguars, baby. Um, but we got three title matches on week one. Week two, we have the heavyweight title match. Uh, there are a couple other uh, preview matches. 
of course, on week one. But we're just going to focus, since there are three title matches, Craig, we are we set out to focus on those three title matches. So, um, without further ado, let's start off with uh, Hikaru Shida defending her AEW Women's Championship against Penelope Ford. Um, Craig, you have a little graph set up here that looks at each individual's offense, or not, yes, type of offense per hour rate. Uh, you want to give us a little rundown? Um, yeah, so obviously we've been collecting all the types of offense throughout the year, but the problem being is that ring time is very different. So hmm. um, if I was to tell you that Hikaru Shida had hit 102 strikes and Penelope Ford had hit, in, had hit you know, 30, um, the fact that the ring times are so very different means that that number doesn't mean a huge amount. So if you either multiply them up to get a per hour rate or divide them down to get a per hour rate, depending on if they've wrestled more than an hour, um, you get a, like, um, a strikes per hour rate or a dives per hour rate. How many of that kind of move would that wrestler tend to do in a match? So um so that's kind of the basis of of this graphic that that's kind of um available to see uh, there's also just some other kind of like form based stuff there so we've got uh, in 2020 Hikaru Shida eight matches that have been one on one traditional female singles matches so that's just a one on one match like traditional rules so the title match against Nyla Rose doesn't count for that because it was um no disqualification and it's just because the numbers lose um, kind of validity in in gimmick matches because they're so different. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to then compare them to other wrestlers that have been in like less gimmick matches. It just it just doesn't make as much sense. So yeah, um, she's been in eight matches this year. Penelope Ford has been in five again, just the one v one traditional rules. And um, eight wins, so hundred percent from Shida. Four wins, eighty percent from Ford. Um. So yeah, obviously five wins in a row when you look at last five for Shida. Uh, win-win, loss, win-win for Penelope Ford. So good form nonetheless. Hikaru Shida, of course, on a plus eight winning streak in these types of matches. Penelope Ford plus two. Um, almost 50 minutes ring time for Hikaru Shida. Almost 30 minutes ring time for Penelope Ford. So deck is being kind of firmly pulled towards Hikaru Shida's side. I'm mixing all kinds of metaphors there. <laughs> Hikaru Shida has an advantage here. Um, things get a bit more complex when we start looking at the types of offense per hour. Um, Penelope Ford has the advantage with strikes. She does more strikes per hour than Hikaru Shida, 216 to 138. But Hikaru Shida is far better at striking her opponents to the mat. 24, uh, sorry, 26 times per hour for Shida in comparison to 15 from Ford. Ford, however, more grapples, 34 to 24. Dives going to Shida, 6 per hour compared to 4. Submissions also going to Shida, 65 seconds of submission per hour. So slight advantage in comparison to 59 seconds. Um, Hikaru Shida is reversing more per hour, um, 71 reversals compared to 64. They're dead even for pin attempts. Both go for around 30 pins per hour. And um, fouls is a huge <laughs> monumental swing towards Shida. 49 fouls per hour from, from Penelope Ford, rather, compared to only seven from Shida. Uh, taunting, they both taunt a bit, around 20 each per hour. 
six finishers to four in favor of Shida, probably reflecting the fact that she's finishing matches more than Ford. Um, total offense per hour. So uh, Penelope Ford, 250 moves per hour, only 178 from Shida. Um, however, Shida takes on average 177, whereas Penelope Ford takes on average 178. So there's a really nice statistical anomaly kind of lineup there in that Shida tends to uh, give out 178 moves per hour and Penelope Ford tends to take 178 moves per hour. So it's um, Hikaru Shida is used to taking on opponents that are going to get hit with this amount of moves and Penelope Ford is experienced at taking this kind of rate of offense. Um, what that means for the match, probably an advantage again to Hikaru Shida. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> no, I, that, I, don't know, I don't know if we should like break it up when we're doing the podcast. I don't know if people just want to hear it all fired up and like that's probably quite hard to process. That kind of, but then if you can see it on the screen, it's maybe not as bad. But then at that point, I'm just like reading to you, so I don't know how effective that is as like a podcast. Don't worry, um, you, you went down the stats, and I'm here to pull out some interesting things that I noticed that uh maybe uh can help that we can dive in even break things down we got it's like we got the overview and now i'm gonna splice in some some interesting details facts that i notice that we can break down even further cool go for it uh i obviously i think the biggest the the biggest thing i noticed obviously looking at this 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 graph fouls right i mean ford having seven times more fouls per hour than Sheeta, uh, whether that be Ford herself cheating, whether that be Kip Sabian being involved, mm-hmm. um, that, that is a huge difference uh, in this match. I obviously, you know, looking at all these numbers, I think that's Ford's biggest advantage is having Kip Sabian by her side um, during, presumably during this match. Um, Absolutely, yes. And I mean, people might even be surprised that Hikaru Shida is doing seven fouls per hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I would suggest she's one of those competitors that when somebody fouls her, she just goes well and gives it right back. It's not a case of her like instigating the fouls, but she's not willing to just be like taken advantage of. That actually goes perfectly into my next point. Um, so not only was there the offense given, offense taken per hour, I went, uh, I, I looked through. Uh, your the Excel document and just mm-hmm. pulled out some even more information. That was I did some total offense given per per match itself. So basically, yeah. uh, total offense per divided by the matches. Um, yeah. uh, Sheeta is eighteen point five given per match uh, versus mm-hmm. Ford's twenty three point six. Uh, offense taken. Sheeta is eighteen thirty eight. Ford is sixteen point eight offense taken. So Ford gives a lot more offense than Sheeta typically per during per her per match while Sheeta uh, takes a little bit more offense per match. And what you sort of alluded to and also what this sort of sort of number talks about when the graph sort of talks about, um, you talked about how Ford uh, takes the statistical anomaly of Ford takes as much offense as Sheeta gives out. Mm-hmm. But there's also something to say that, Shakita, Shakita? Is that? <laughs> I I think that was a combination of Shiki, Shida and Hikaru. I don't uh, know what happened like there. Shida and um, 
Shakara and Shakira, maybe Shakira. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the the uh, honesty of Hikarashida's hips, but that's besides the point. <laughs> um, but I did notice that Hikarashida uh, basically gives as much offense as she takes. So I sort of interpreted that as she yeah. ab- sort of absorbs punishment and dishes it back out at the same exact uh, numbers, velocity, mm-hmm. same breath, sort of thing. So I was sort of thinking about that when you you brought up how Ford can take the same amount of offense Sheeta gives, there is something to say that if Ford is able to give a lot of offense, Sheeta might up her her yeah. own offense, you know, dishing out to match the t- offense that she's taking from Ford, which might outdo Ford even more yet uh yet again. Yeah, I suppose that we we can tell from the numbers here and from Sheeta's winning record that um if if it's a close match she she can come out on top and um, we when we're looking at penelope ford's win-loss record which is strong but it's not hikaru Shida's, mm-hmm. and then you look at her total offense offense taken if this is a close match and you i mean it's hard to believe that penelope ford is going to dominate the champion um although it could happen and um, sometimes that does happen in championship matches and we've seen that the result doesn't always get influenced by that. We've seen so but many it, anomalies. Yeah, yeah, the John Moxley effect, that one. But <laughs> the Kip Saving effect. Uh, that, that's a little bit harder to understand. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if if you know Shida keeps up with Ford, can Ford deal with that? We we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Ford's total offense rate of two hundred fifty moves per hour, and um, whilst taking one hundred seventy eight. That that's you know, she she's got that from fighting against some kind of um less elite um I'm trying to think of kind ways of saying it um some competitors that are not at the top of the tree in the AEW, whereas Hikaru Shida has faced some of them, but it has also been in bigger matches. Um, it it seems like Shida's taking this one and adding to her already impressive run of 2020 results yeah and there's something to say that the only reason ford has this title challenge to begin with is because she hit during a tag match she Mm -hmm. hit Sheeta with the championship and then pinned her so basically a foul allowing her to get the victory in that tag match yeah we've got one person full of fouls and trickery which is a threat Mm -hmm. um versus a competitor that's got to the top by um compiling uh you know huge um kind of backlog of victories yeah like like sheeta challenging up to nyla rose mm-hmm. um yeah sort of an inverse here i guess yeah i mean my my biggest takeaway here is that you know sheeta is the better wrestler hands down but however with sabian by ford's side mm-hmm. that you know causing a lot of distractions you know ford doing her own sort of trickery that's that's Ford's best key. As long as so basically Sabian's involvement in this match will be the key to victory, honestly, for Penelope Ford. Um, if she, but obviously with anyone having a manager by their side, too much trickery, too much nonsense from Kip Sabian, he can get thrown out. What happens when Sabian gets thrown out? Um, who knows? Uh, I, I think that's you got That's always the tricker. The the trickery situation that ford uh finds herself in is that it can lead her to victory but doing it too much might screw her over so yeah yeah absolutely i yeah so my pick here is hikarashita getting the win at fighter fest 
Uh, yes, I'm in total agreement. Okay, well then let's move down the line, move into the next title match, which is for the TNT Championship. Uh, it is will be Cody versus Jake Hager. Um, we, you know, you're looking at the graph right now, whether it be on ProWrestlingMusing.com or on the YouTube channel. Hit the books uh, and watching the YouTube version of this, you can see that graph. Uh, I think the, you sort of mentioned it on the last match, but I think even more prevalent is ring time when it comes to this, uh, very much so Cody having, uh, over two and a half hours of ring time versus Hager's 20 minutes. Um, so a slight difference, uh, in these two competitors, uh, what are some takeaways you got of this, Greg? And yeah, so the first, the first thing to, to uh, mention again is, and this is the thing that people might be. Uh, slightly disappointed or whatever in terms of these numbers um but obviously i do this myself in my spare time nobody pays me i have a full-time job i don't mean to sound uh irk- irksome there um but i i kind of some of this is done to make it possible for me to do this and some of this is done to give as accurate a representation as possible um so the the removing the kind of stipulation matches from the kind of standard one-on-one matches that's about accuracy. Me not then having a separate worksheet where I then add in all the different kinds of stipulations and stuff, that's so that I can do this without losing my rag and rage quitting, <laughs> essentially. So the obvious thing to say here that is not present in Jake Hager's statistics is the loss to John Moxley for the title in the, the stadium brawl match, whatever that was. Um, and that was like a 30-minute match. So that is a substantial amount of ring time. And um, I suppose the to make it not just about my able to do this and produce something worthwhile, and um, to give a reason for that, I suppose you could be arguing that um, Cody's ring time is just in traditional 1v1 wrestling matches, which is perhaps the most pure type of match. Therefore, Jake, Jake Hager's kind of plunder brawl stadium type match against Moxley was a very, very different type of match. Mm-hmm. Um, and those 30 minutes probably you could discount as being a very different type of animal. The equivalent of maybe talking about somebody's um, pole vault performance when they're just about to do the 400 meters in the in a heptathlon. Let's put it like that to keep it sports-based, if that makes sense. Yes, that and there, there's your uh, you know, there's your there's our Olympics knowledge uh, to bite us over until next summer when they come back. I I know I know sports. I know I know I yeah, but I I don't know. You said heptathlon, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, not... that's eight eight things. <laughs> I hey, I took Latin. That's all I got. That's all I, got. I took. Two years of Latin. <laughs> you took Latin. Yeah, I took. Yeah, fun fact. I took. <laughs> I took two Where years of Latin. Uh, my high school. I learned oh, Latin high school. I took. They two... were trying to. They were trying to sound fancy. Was it two years? It might have been three years. I think it was two years of Latin. Yeah, no, right. I, I, I learned some Latin, and then in college, I took a year of Gaelic. Oh, why are you doing Gaelic in America? Because <laughs> I think because... Nobody I didn't... in Scotland can speak Gaelic. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and it's like an impossible language to learn because there's four different versions of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I learned Gaelic because I had a list of languages in front of me, and I had to take a language course, and I was like, uh, it was like Spanish uh chinese um uh, etc etc you know uh 
or Arabic or whatever. Okay, so, okay, right. I'm gonna have to question uh -huh, this uh -huh. decision making policy. Yes, yeah, so put the whole first show on pause. Let's go. Let's well, dive deep. First off, you live in America where Spanish is the second language, and mm -hmm. yes, you, you, yeah, I think I don't know. I think I might be pushed into learning it if I live there. Um, then fair. you've got like Chinese, which is, you know, a growing language, Mandarin, growing language. Yeah, I believe um, Mandarin then, is the proper word, not Chinese. Yeah, and then, and then Arabic is probably, again, another growing language based on the kind of growth in that part of the world. And you chose kind of deathbed Scottish-Irish language <laughs> for, for reading old Irish folk tales so i i don't one, one can only assume um this is the i so when i went to i i quickly transferred out of the school but when i went there <laughs> for, this, for the first year at uh manhattan college up in new york uh which fun fact not in manhattan actually in the bronx um a whole different bur bur borough um, so, uh, I found their website, uh, they have in their language department, they have a couple majors and obviously they offer a couple classes. So just it put it in perspective for you, Craig, there was Spanish, French, Arabic, Chinese, Italian, Japanese, German, Latin, and Irish. And I chose Irish. I mean, nobody in Ireland even <laughs> like no young people, no young people in Ireland can speak Irish. <laughs> Well, all I can say to that is Geoguitch, uh, which a uh, shout out to all those Irish listeners. <laughs> we don't know what you're saying. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. So, I, yeah, I chose Gaelic. Uh, I think it's because I saw the list of things and I was like, well, I'm only I, I'm only have to take this for two semesters. I'm just going to learn I Irish. You know, I'm just going <laughs> to learn Gaelic. Why not? Um, that'd be sort of fun. And it was a fun class. I had a lot of fun in that class. <laughs> I genuinely think that would be the last on my list if you gave me those languages. <laughs> I still have the textbook somewhere. You know how like sometimes from college you just sort of just keep some textbooks of classes you liked? Uh, mm. I think I have the textbook somewhere. I don't know where it is. It's on my bookshelf right now. But yeah, uh, anyways, <laughs> back to anyways. Cody and Hager. Um, yes. Uh, talking Gaelic? Talking Gaelic. I mean, talking I mean, Gaelic Hager looks gal. like he could be from Ireland? <laughs> probably, probably. I mean, eh, more of like a German guy. Right, we're gonna, probably. We're gonna have to, think we're gonna have to move on. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, uh, some things I pulled out from this. Uh, you know, looking at just looking at the stats straight down. I mean, I, for the most part, Hager has. Of course, there's a ring time mm -hmm. differential, but obviously, that's trying to compensate for the per hour rate here. But even then, uh, just going straight down the list. Hager pretty much has Cody beat in every single category uh, down the line. You know, he has a slight edge in strikes. He has um, three times as much submission time compared to Cody. Um, you know, he has more than double Cody's grapples, uh, half as many strike downs, which I, I would have to imagine is Hager's game plan going to this match. Um, Cody does go for the pin twice as much as Hager uh hager has four times as many fouls four times as many taunts um you know just really trying to give it to him double the amount of finishers typically takes and gives more often per hour about one and a half times as much um and then even looking i went to the excel sheet in reversal rates cody has 31 percent reversal rate hager is 29 percent, so still fairly even 
you know, I guess I, 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 it sounds like the slight edge would go to Cody, but based on last week's reversal rate uh, uh, graph look-see, I would give, I guess, the slight edge to Hager, uh, actually. Um, I suppose, I, I mean, it's difficult. This is kind of where the stats fall down when you've got two guys that don't have similar ring times because mm-hmm. Jake Hager has had matches against Dustin Rhodes, which was an almost 15-minute match, QT Marshall, three and a half minutes, Joe Alonso, one and a half minutes, um, and then Chico Adams, one minute. Um, those those are his four um, traditional 1v1 um, singles matches. His other match that, again, uh, as explained, doesn't come into this, being the 30-minute match against John Moxley. So usually when the matches are shorter, um, there, there's, more, there's more action per minute because um, in longer matches you see... Um, wrestlers kind of showing off the kind of the grueling nature of those matches they go they go down and they're on the mat for longer there's breaks in the action as kind of both guys stroll to their feet whereas in you know 14 minute matches against Dustin Rhodes um near the beginning of a pay-per-view um there's there's enough there's not it's just you know it's a it's it's competitive and we're not getting into kind of the dramatic both guys struggling to their feet so it, it is it is hard to use these statistics too um too well um but the discrepancy between the two is quite large like jake hager's numbers are dwarfing cody's yeah um that but then again cody does have you know 12, 12 of these traditional 1v1 matches this year he's won 11 of them his loss was to mgf and that was a bit sketchy it's a 10 match winning streak. Um, and he's been in the ring for two hours, 46 minutes, which is the longest um, anyone has been in. And again, this is just for traditional one wave on matches, but that's the longest anyone's been in the ring um, for AEW in this type of match this year. Which is huge. Which is a big, it's, huge. It's in the ring, yes. Um, yeah, there's, uh, I, I did do another one of those total offense givens and divide it up by each match. I mean, maybe hopefully that gives a better, uh, maybe a better idea since the, those numbers of 12, uh, 12 to four is still three times as many matches, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just difficult when like one of Jake Eager's matches is 14 minutes and the other runs a one minute ref stoppage against Chico Adams. Yeah. Uh, total f- offense given per match for Cody is 35.8. Hager is mm. 18.5. So that's okay. Cody typically gives out twice as much offense than Hager does in their matches. Uh, mm. Total offense taken per match for Cody is 30.8. Um, uh, Hager is 17.3. So again, Cody typically take t- Cody, t- Cody typically takes about a little less than two times, you know, 1.75 times more offense than Hager does in their matches. Yeah. The other, the other thing that um, is, is relevant is their total kind of, their kind of wear and tear. So we're talking about how this might be all benefiting in Cody because, you know, 12 matches, most ring time, he's, you know, a sharpened athlete. He's uh, in the ring all the time. Uh, Cody's total offense in these types of matches this year is 430 offensive maneuvers, um, which is uh, the most in AEW, again, due to the fact uh, that um, most wrestlers haven't um, 
been in the ring as much as him. Um, he he's just ahead of second place John Moxley, uh, two hours nineteen minutes from John Moxley, three hundred ninety four offensive maneuvers. So you know Cody's hitting an offensive pace in these matches, but again I'm kind of talking here more about the amount that Cody has performed this year, the amount of offensive maneuvers he's hit on his opponents, the way that he's fine tuning his skill set, whereas Jake Hager's. 74 offensive maneuvers in his four 1v1 matches and um, isn't it's a far quicker pace when you level it out with the time but in as like sharpening his tool set it's nothing compared to cody rhodes however the the big but here is that cody rhodes has taken 369 offensive maneuvers um compared to Jake Hager's sixty nine, so <laughs> it's it's a it's a three hundred maneuver um, gap between the two. So although Cody Rhodes has had the opportunity to sharpen his tool set to to you know do do the reps, do the work, as he says, that's a double edged sword. He's also you know he'll have um, potential potential wear and tear. You know, don't know his knees, his shoulder, whatever, whatever he's you know um, that Jake Hager may be able to take advantage of i'm quickly looking up when when even was jake hager's last match um just to find that real quick so i've happened to have that on my screen just now um so he's been in a, a few like multi-man matches uh the 10th of june he was in a six-way um the 22nd of may stadium stampede he hasn't been in a one-on-one match since the 15th of April. That was the John Moxley title defense. So, you know, he's 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 well-rested, let's put it like that. And even even before the no-holds-barred match, a non-gimmick uh, singles match is March 25th. <laughs> yeah, and that's Chico Adams' one minute. Like, he didn't have a match that went over... He had he had another six man that went over ten minutes, but the only other match that he's had this year that went over ten minutes, you know, uh, before any of those is that Dustin Rhodes match in February. Yeah, extremely well rested to put to put yes, it lightly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a tough one because you know obviously there's a huge disparity between ring time and match match numbers, but you know looking at this, yeah, it's it's. It's like you would give it to Cody, but then there's also the fact that Hager has dwarfed Cody in every single number practically. Uh, yeah. I mean, H- Hager, you know, he's pretty much beaten Cody on every single category. So, you know, even you know, even if we look at our our all of our you know past several weeks of looking at individual matches or individual categories, um, Cody has always been very consistent, consistently. Uh, that that always that you know that Cody anomaly next to Moxley sort of where he's always been consistently all around good and still in in terms of every every single category he's one of those all around wrestlers where he can win with strikes win with strike downs win with grapples dives he can do it all and he can sort of still win matches uh, Hager I don't quite remember where he was in the previous weeks but even then like Cody is that just that all around tool you talk about sharpening his tool. Uh, he's got every single tool in that shed is sharpened and ready to go against Hager. However, Hager can, Hager's got that MMA quality to him. He can put, you know, like Chico Adams, you know, sort of put him away very quickly. 
We don't really know how Hager can be in longer matches, potentially. You know, sort of that Shingo, like we talked about earlier, of the um, uh, endurance test, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll find out. I mean, I think if Cody... Cody's going to get beaten down. I think no matter what happens during this match, Cody will be beaten down by Hager uh, quite constantly um, during this match, whether it be strikes, strike downs, what have you, grapples. But I think if Cody can... My takeaway from this is that if Cody can find a way to cause Hager to slip up, maybe get distracted or whatever, I think Cody can get the victory um, or maybe focus on other things like submissions. But... <laughs> Again, maybe maybe a submission game against an MMA fighter like Hager is not a great idea, but uh, who knows? Maybe it's something that could work. Yeah, it, it seems from what we've explored there that both men have um, kind of huge strengths, um, and yeah, it's kind of it's a hard one to um, analyze a lot more than that because because of the huge discrepancy between um, ring times. Yeah, I mean. If I had to pick a winner, um, <laughs> uh, I don't know, honestly. Uh, it's t- I, I, what was, Oh, I remember what I was going to say earlier. It's tough because uh, Hager is another one of those big men challengers, you know, like, um, like uh, uh, I guess, Brian Cage, like Brody Lee, like Lance Archer. Uh, it's another big man that uh, ha- during a- their time at AEW have been putting away people extremely quickly. So getting the you know getting the stats for someone against Cody is is tough. Uh, Cody has beaten Wardlow previously. He's beaten Lance Archer. Uh, Cody has you know consistently beaten bigger guys against him. Hager's got that Hager effect uh, <laughs> on his tool belt. I guess that can always help. Um, and, and who knows what sort of nightmare family inner circle nonsense is going to play out. Um, maybe he, Hager can kiss his wife for some uh, extra boost. Uh, but then Cody's got his wife with him. It's a whole other aspect. I don't know. If I had to pick a winner, I could see Hager winning, but I I, I think Cody will probably pull this one out. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, as, as you said, Cody's already being Archer. Um, it, it doesn't make sense to book Jake Hager, who's only wrestled for 20 minutes, to um, beat the guy, the guy with the highest ring time for singles matches. It just doesn't. Um, you know, um, yeah, Cody, Cody walks out. Still champ. Especially since with the storyline aspects of what they're doing with Cody, obviously, you know, you have... Um, uh, right around the horizon you have uh, the ability to use a lot more released wrestlers um, in the upcoming month um, you know if Co- I, I don't know if Hager wins if he would continue doing the weekly title defenses um, nor maybe maybe would I not want to see Jake Hager wrestle every single week per se um, but you know that there's the idea of you know storyline aspect of I could see maybe Arn Anderson getting involved in this match you know there's been a lot of rumblings about four horsemen stuff so continue Cody going maybe we're maybe this could be a heel turn for Cody I don't know I doubt it against someone like Jake Hager but um yeah you know I there's a lot of rumbling storyline wise I don't think it's a good idea to completely get rid of the 
uh, title defense a week yet, um, especially with uh, a bunch of people available soon. So yeah, I, maybe we'll, get, we'll keep Cody having the title storyline wise. But we're not talking storylines here. We're talking stats. Uh, Hager, 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 Hager is probably my pick to win, but I wouldn't be surprised. If, I'm, I'm changing it. Hager, Hager is probably my pick to win. I don't know. I don't know, Craig. I'm so confused. I don't know. It's a toss up. It's a toss up. I think honestly. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. For for me, kind of, um, if we're looking at this um, sports-centric elite competition, a guy that's been in singles matches for 20 minutes this year up against a guy that's been in for over two hours, you know, the wear and tear is there, but uh, that's what athletes do. Um, you know, I, I think I think Cody walks out of this one. Um, and yeah, as you said, goes on and, you know, we might see Mark, Mark Cardona, Matt Cardona for a week or you know, I don't know, would Rusev turn up for a week? You know, that, that kind of thing, and um, which would be, which would be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Definitely, 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 definitely. Um, yeah, I, I always because I'm always like thinking of like it's not only looking at the stats, but what always happens in my brain is always thinking of like the kayfabe aspect of it, of like being yeah. like, well, the reason Hager's ring time is so low is because Hager puts away. Uh, his competitors very quickly you know and mm-hmm. i'm trying to think of like if 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 jim ross is looking at this like he would be like well this is what it would say uh oklahoma's yeah. <laughs> oklahoma <laughs> people um you know i was just sort of like thinking like what would the, the the kayfabe aspect of how you would sell that uh, but let's move into the tag team title match which is of course the mega cowboys hangman adam page kenny omega versus the best friends chucky e. t Ch- chuck taylor and Trent um, we got the stats pulled up here I was looking at this earlier today uh, pretty even honestly pretty even for these two for these two guys Craig any thoughts for you um, yeah so um, anything from pro wrestling musings to do with this tag team championship team will be called the mega cowboys I could have gone with Omega cowboys but that seemed a little too obvious so just kind of shortened it um, Kenny Omega does like Mega Man as well, so I'm sure he wouldn't mind. They're obviously not going with a tag team name because uh, this kind of kind of fits the kind. Of, they're you know they're in storyline. They're not a real tag team. They're a makeshift shift tag team. Um, so yeah. Um, in terms of this, you're absolutely right. It is quite close. Uh, we do have an unblemished seven for seven record from the champions in 2020 in traditional male tag two v two matches. Um, a ring time of one hour 56 minutes however what you might find surprising is the best friends have outdone them in that capacity um, and they have a ring time of one minute and 58 seconds from their 11 matches nine of those were victories two losses they are on however a plus eight streak which is one more than the mega cowboys obviously plus seven streak um yeah very close in terms of in-ring stats uh, the Cowboys edge it for strikes, 167 in comparison to 159. Um, they're also ahead in terms of strike downs, grapples, and dives by narrow margins. And um, best friends, 40 seconds to 20 sec- 22 seconds per hour in for sub- submissions. And um, the Mega Cowboys are gra- uh, are reversing more in their matches. However, the best friends are trying to win faster with more pin attempts. Um, the best friends will 
kind of go for a foul more so than the Mega Cowboys. But again, I think that's that's more Hikaru Shida kind of, well, if you're going to do that, I'm going to do this type stuff, just not being taken advantage of. Similar taunting. Um, what's more interesting for these guys, though, is their tag team stats. Um, the Mega Cowboys are tagging more than the established tag team best friends, 23 times per hour in comparison to 21. Uh, double teams is a dead heat, 16 times per hour from both teams. Um, the Mega Cowboys, four finishers per hour compared to five from the best friends. Um, total offense, Mega Cowboys have a faster rate of offense with 227 moves per hour, 210 from Chucky T and Trent. Um, however, the Mega Cowboys are taking far more offense with 241 moves per hour coming their way in comparison to 216 that meaning both teams have tend to take more offense than the dish out so um yeah in comparison to the other two matches very close statistics um tags team statistics in AEW there's not a lot of submissions but there are loads of reversals and you tend to see quite a lot of quite imaginative double team moves being used um to kind of really define that tag team division yeah, uh, and there's something to say for the Mega Cowboys themselves, uh, where of 2020, six out of seven of their matches, and of course wins as well, have been tag team title matches. Um, the only other match that wasn't a tag team title match was January 8th against Private Party. Um, but then, of course, they'll win on. They'll go on to win the number one contenders, Fatal Four Way, and then the actual tag team titles on that cruise. And then basically defend it against everybody. They've defended it against SCU, Lucha Brothers, Young Bucks, famously. Um, uh, and Kip Sabian. Um, and then, of course, the Natural Nightmares. <laughs> just Kip Sabian. Yeah, just, just Kip Sabian. And, of course, the Natural Nightmares. And now they're defending it against another tag team in the Best Friends. So... You could say maybe they're a little overdue to get that loss, but who knows? Um, another stat that I really enjoyed that I felt like should be pointed out here was the fouls. Um, quite low compared to every other stat, but there is something to say where the fouls, where best friends have four times as many fouls per hour than Omega and Paige. So I, I think it's fair to say that Trent and Chuck Taylor are not afraid to get a little dirty in their matches, uh, compared to the cleaner and the cowboy. I mean, if if I recall um, correctly, I believe it's things like when they've been in the ring with um, Jericho and it's been like in, in when dirty things have been going on on the outside, they'll slam somebody into a barrier or, or, a, or a steel post to kind of to, to ensure that they're not being taken advantage of and to ensure they're not being mm. disadvantaged they they don't they don't tend to instigate anything. Um, I don't oh. believe, if I remember again correctly. Okay, okay, that that's good to know. That's very good to know. Um, well then that that is because well yeah because then Omega and Page that two is probably the same similar idea of mm-hmm. trying to yeah. uh, it's less doing using fouls but more negating fouls yeah, by doing fouls in fa- itself. I would suggest those fouls would have come in the Young Bucks match. I'll take your word for it. From the top, like, 
there there was things got a bit heated. I think somebody went through a table, did they not? Did Paige not put somebody through a table? Yes. I believe Nick or Matt. Probably Matt. Storyline wise, <laughs> probably Matt. Nick or Matt. <laughs> I don't know. It could be one of the two, maybe. I don't so, know. 50 um, 50? I've only been to a handful of wrestling shows. Um, one of them was Ring of Honor when they came here, like 2018, maybe 2018, 19. Mm-hmm. And the Bucks were there. And there was this guy in the crowd who couldn't get anybody to chant along with him. He tried so hard all night. Uh, but nobody was going for it and there was a bit during the young bucks match where he just kept going let's go nick like over and over and over again <laughs> and um nick was just kind of looking at him um nick who's standing on the apron as matt is in the ring <laughs> and he the guy the guy had been chanting really loudly in front of everybody else for the completely wrong young book which which they were more than happy to point out for the crowd's amusement (laughs) i I imagine if you're nick jackson who's obviously trying to focus doing the job trying to focus on what he's doing and all of a sudden he just keeps hearing let's go nick and he just like turns around be like what is happening i'm not even doing anything right now oh my god it must be so like (laughs) just pull him out completely Oh, yeah, I mean, I would guess they're used to being mistaken for one or the other. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah, I mean, looking at this match, uh, you know, fair, I would, you know, down the board, fairly even, you know, in terms of matches and ring time and everything. Uh, if I if I had to, I mean, do, do you have any big takeaways on who you think could win this match? Um, so apparently Chuck Taylor and Trent Bretta or Chucky T and Trent question mark, because they're now called, mm-hmm. um, have never been tag team champions. And I don't just mean they've never been AEW tag team champions. And apparently they've just never been tag team champions. So Correct. like, not Ring of Honor, um, definitely not New Japan. Surprised that they never had it in Ring of Honor. Um, but yeah, they've, they've um, never had it. Um, I think that's going to stay the same. Um, I don't, I see the Mega Cowboys carrying on for a bit. Their matches have been one of the highlights of Dynamite. Um, and I've, I find it quite hard on Dynamite when they cut to commercial. Um, you miss a chunk of the match um, since the pandemic started. Even if you're uh, in Europe and you're watching on fight, you're still often not, not getting the advert bits that you were getting before. Um, or, you know, there, there have been a few issues. Um, so the... Uh, Page and Omega have quite often had the opening match of the night, and that seems to be the only match that doesn't get cut, um, but by the adverts. So you know, um, if if you're choosing who you want to put out there to have the the wrestling the wrestling matches match, um, yeah, I'm I'm more than happy that it's these two guys. You know, Kenny Omega is the best. Hangman Page has been exceptional since he kind of took off post Chris Jericho stuff. So yeah, um I see them I see them going and going and going. Um maybe until the end of the pandemic and we get some kind of maybe more young book stuff. I don't know. Um but it's a it's a huge story and it doesn't feel like it's coming to an end at all at the moment. Yeah, it's uh I think it's sort of similar to for me at least the Hager Cody match where it is a little bit more of a toss up where it is I'm like I I mean, I my preference would be to see Omega and Paige continue because I think 
the the good idea is to always you know they've been already sort of teasing FTR page yeah, Omega. That, um, that is the match that you know definitely needs to happen. Yeah, and they've also been teasing. Obviously, you, you can easily go back to Young Bucks and Omega Page um, yeah. for a match. Um, however, you know, best friends have been secretly doing a great job in AEW. I mean, like they've been, when you're talking about never having a title in a career, they've been tagging since 2013, um, fairly kind of off and on sometimes, but for the past seven years and they've never held tag team championships. Could it be the night if it, if it ever was going to be their night, it, this might be it. This could potentially be it, but I think ultimately, you know, we we get as far off the stats, and then I'm sort of like, well, we think start thinking of outside perspectives of storylines and whatnot. And I don't know. I mean, maybe I could. I think I would imagine seeing Omega Page get the ultimate victory. I mean, in this match, you know, maybe maybe the best friends do have to play up more in the fouls, play up a little bit more dirty to maybe help get help their chances or something. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they would necessarily have to do any different. Uh, to get the win because you know they're pretty much already on even f- playing field to Omega and Page. So, yeah, I think ultimately I think, Omega Page. I think you might see that um, in this match. Um, if you think back to the Trent Kenny match, that's that already happened. You know, um, going going a bit dirty to give yourself a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is that sort of thing of like, what more can we do <laughs> to put them put them away? And again, maybe that maybe that could be the part. Maybe they could best friends can sort of play as the lovable doofus underdogs, where it is sort of like they just use everything in their arsenal and become sort of that. What more can we do? What you know, we you like? Let's say, uh, what is it? Strong zero, I think, is what their tag yeah. team finisher is. Let's say they do the strong zero on Hangman Adam Page. Adam Page kicks out for I believe. Going back and far my memory, I believe would be the first time ever kicking out. I think that would play perfectly into the story of like we've put everything to them and we can't, we can't do it. We have to think of something new. We need something. We need something different to etch out a victory. Uh, maybe they'll be able to get it. Maybe they won't. Who knows? Uh, yeah. So that I mean that's that's it. Let's move straight into our next. Uh, little doc sheet docket number whatever crap uh on here and it is uh you, you're, i think you're gonna need to explain this one again for the listeners and uh viewers at home craig we sort of talked about it last week obviously for several past couple weeks we've been looking at different categories of stats versus win-loss records last week you pitched uh this sort of uh four quadrant graph here uh craig can you can you go into the explanation of what we are looking at um, so this is the relationship between wrestlers getting um, the most offense in a match um, versus their win-loss record. So this is kind of, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but, you know, you often see a football match, um, a soccer match, where, you know, team A um, controls the ball, takes 14 shots, scores one goal, uh, scores zero goals, but their opponents have 30% of the ball, shoot once, score once, win the game. So they've won the match despite having the least percentage. This is the the rest the, the least possession. This is the wrestling equivalent. It is um the amount of offense that wrestlers have had versus whether or not they've won the, the match. Um so 
there's there's quite an even spread of wrestlers. So we have in quadrant one, so the positive so the positive for both um categories there, we have guys like Cody, Sabian, Pack, Hardy, Luther, these guys tend to give the most offense in their matches um and win more than they lose. Mm-hmm. Then when we go to the left, I think this would be called quadrant four. Um, so we have guys like Jericho, Spears, Omega, and Moxley. These are guys that tend to win more often than they lose, but um, over the course of their 2021 v1 matches, they have taken more offense than they dished out. So these are almost like your underdogs, which is fitting when you've got Darby Allen there, but confusing when you've got Lance Archer there. And and um, Jericho and Omega. <laughs> Um, so when we go underneath the x-axis, we go down um, quadrant two. So these are guys that aren't winning, but are getting the most offense in their matches. So these are guys that maybe need to start asking themselves questions. Are they using their offense properly? Are they wasting time? What mistake are they making? Why are things going wrong? Um, so we've got Kazarian, Santana, Cobb, Cutler, and Stunt. Um, Stunt does a lot of hammer fists, so that tends to bump his stats up. Cutler, um, he's one that really needs to examine his game and think about what he's doing because he's not winning and he's winning the offense battle. So he's, it sounds like for him it's decision-making rather than like lack of skill or strength. We need, we, I'm telling you, we needed to extend an invitation to Brandon Cutler to be like, hey, Brandon, you, you need some help, buddy. We've been looking at the data. I don't know what you're doing wrong, but it is doing something wrong. <laughs> so let's, yeah. we need to start doing stat coaching for specifically Brandon Cutler. Yeah, yeah, uh, might be his kind of thing as well. Yeah. Um, quadrant three. Now, quadrant three is, it's a bit, it's a bit more, it's, it's quite, it's a sad quadrant. Nobody, <laughs> uh, quadrant two is frustrated. So quadrant one is confident. <laughs> Hold on, stay with me. Quadrant I'm here. I'm per- I'm 100 here. <laughs> quadrant one is confident. They're in control. Everything's going well. Quadrant four, where they're winning but being outdone. Quadrant four is maybe a bit angsty, but they're maybe lucky and pleased with how things are going, but tenuous. Uh, quadrant three is frustrated because they're you know they're getting the off. Uh, quadrant two, sorry, they're getting the offense, but they're not winning. Quadrant four is just sad. They're taking a beating and they're losing. Things ain't going well. Uh, it's a bit, maybe a bit simpler than quadrant two to sort out. Just let's go to the gym, get stronger, watch some tape, sort things out. It's kind of, so these guys are losing and they're getting beaten up in matches. Um, Sonny Kiss, Chuck Ortiz, Joey Janela um, has been taking a lot of offense. Uh, Kiss, QT Marshall, Avalon, Trent. So it's, it's guys that you won't be too surprised about. Um, but I think the things that you will see when you first look at this graph is uh, Kip Sabian has, gets in so much offense in this match. Yes. Matches, he moves fast, he hits a lot of short, quick strikes, a lot of kind of like hitting guys repeatedly when they're on the ground. Um, Cody Rhodes, uh, quite a lot of offense, second most... Um, Oh, I'm just wondering about that. That's a bit odd. Uh, never mind. Uh, so Cody Rhodes is getting a lot of offense and he's winning matches. Um, then we've got John Moxley taking a lot of offense um, but winning matches. So these guys are like the, the outliers. Um, 
Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was starting to panic that my data was wrong there, but I've realized why I thought that it's not wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're um, fine. Is, is it? Is I, it right? You no, know, I was thinking in my head about percentages, because um, Cody doesn't often win by huge percentages in his matches, but because he's had so many matches, um, it's like little by little that's added up. Because if you remember, this is offense for minus offense against, so it's like the pure number mm-hmm. rather than the stats version. Okay. Okay. It, it it's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, here, whilst being like, oh no, uh, but no, it's fine. Confidence saved. And the other kind of headline from this graph is we do have that positive correlation. So the numbers are saying that um, wrestlers that are getting in the most offense are the guys that are winning the matches. Generally, it's a, it's a weak correlation, um, but it, it is it is what you'd expect. Um, but that that is taken into account matches where guys win, where they've not got the most stuff in, matches where guys lose, where they have, again, got the most stuff in. So there's there's a spread of different um, results, but there is a weak positive correlation. So it is still um, in your interest to try and get the most offense in any given match. Yeah, and I think looking at this graph, there's obviously the the huge factors of people that we've been looking at. Like, you know, looking at Moxley and Cody, those this graph completely tells you the story about those two wrestlers, you know, looking at Moxley first, he wins a butt ton of matches, but he is, it's almost as if he uses his resiliency to win matches. You know what I mean? Like he's constantly someone that just gets beaten up, beaten down over and over again, but continues to win, whether it be against Brody, whether it might be against Brian cage, um, um, it's something that Moxley allegedly uses to win matches. Where if you look at Cody, Cody is the golden boy. He is the ace of this company. He is somebody that he is consistently winning, consistently dishing out a large number of offense. Um, he is consistently uh, his, you know, we talk about what you may be doing right, wrong. Cody is doing everything right. And what that is, is what we sort of looked at for the past couple of weeks is that Cody does a really good job of spreading out his amount of offense in each sort of category, yeah. whether it be strikes, grapples, submissions, uh, uh, reversals, what have you. He does a good job of spreading those numbers out. So Cody being there isn't too surprising. What is really surprising is Kip Sabian um, being sort of mid-tier on terms of wins, you know, in that sort of uh, mid-card level. But in terms of that offensive difference... Kip Sabian just blowing literally everybody out of the water. Uh, what is that number? What is that? 118 is the difference? Um, plus 118. So he's uh, dished out 118 more moves than, than he's taken. So it's it's a, it's a substantial... I mean, he's also been in a lot of matches, um, has Kip Sabian. He's um, one of the most used wrestlers in that company. Yeah. Is there any... Is that the only explanation for the Sabian anomaly like like that I can think of like even if he's in a lot of matches he still has he still gives out a lot of ma- offense in those matches yeah so he's been he's been in in 10 1v1 matches and um, his strikes so he's got 174 strikes 176 strikes per hour so he's fifth he's fifth in the company in he's fifth out of the male wrestlers for the amount of strikes he's dishing out 
Um, only 23rd for strike downs, 32nd for grapples, 14 for dives, um, eighth for the amount of submissions he's using. So it's not he's not like dominating at anything. So again, he's seventh. He's got the seventh quickest um total offense kind of rate. So in terms of like dishing out offense, he's got this the seventh highest. But what's it's it's just more of like it's the it's the combination of that and the amount of matches that he's been in. So for example, there there I'm just checking it now, but there won't be anyone. So yeah, there's nobody in AEW that has um a better offense rate than Kip Sabian that has wrestled more than him. So he's seventh in terms of the quickness that he gives out offense, but above him is Jericho Luther. Alan Angels, Frankie Kazarian, Jeff Cobb, and Brian Cage. It's all guys that have minute ring times. Mm-hmm. Um, Kip Sabian is seventh with a one hour 30 ring time in terms of the speed at which he's giving out offense. The next notable ring time is Dustin Rhodes with just over an hour, and he's dishing out offense at the 17th fastest rate. Um, going down further to find somebody that's wrestled more than Kip Sabian, John Moxley has dished out offense at the 24th fastest rate. So Kip Sabian is, in terms of a guy that's wrestled a lot, he is s- still keeping up a pace. Whereas what we usually see is that when wrestlers wrestle for longer match times or more, they're not keeping up the same pace in their matches. So yeah, Kip Sabian is wrestling a lot and putting a lot of moves into those matches. Whereas what we quite often see from guys that are putting a lot of moves into one match is that it's they're not wrestling as much or they're wrestling shorter matches. There's also the idea that Kip Sabian is a striker. He is somebody that constantly is putting out uh, a high number, a high volume of strikes against their opponent. You know, I think you said he was seventh in, on that leaderboard mm-hmm. of striking. Yeah. Um, which to me, yes, no, sorry, I might have done, but he's fifth. He's fifth. Okay, he's fifth. Still, still, the high, still fairly high uh, compared to this list of people. Maybe there and is something. It's the, same, it's the same story. Like there's Dustin Rhodes, who is ninth with an hour ring time. Um, Cabana thirteenth with fifty minutes. John Moxley twenty third with two hours. It's the same thing. All your guys that have got, um, that are have wrestled more than an hour, like Kenny Omega twenty fifth. Sammy Guevara, 27th, Cody Rose, 31st, MGF, 35th, Pac, 37th, and then Darby Allen, 41st. So, like, uh, there's 42 people on this list as well. So, like, when wrestlers are wrestling a lot of matches, they are not doing so at the speed that Kip Sabian is kind of using his offense. Yeah. Uh, and maybe there is, but what I was, maybe there is something to the idea that Kip. He's because I'm trying to I'm looking going back to the idea about what you said about the you know number the quadrant one is confident people quadrant four is like we're doing something right but I'm taking a lot of punishment so I don't know how really how to, I'm confused I guess I'm sort of mm-hmm. I don't know how to feel about it quadrant two is upset at themselves downtrodden uh yeah. quadrant four is ah geez i need to stop I, like janella i need to go into tag teams i need to stop being a singles wrestler for a bit and I, and you, for me i'm looking at that and i have to think of kip sabian being like i have 
the largest offerential difference than any other wrestler in this promotion by what is that by 120 points yeah i think you said 118 before yeah uh so a a butt ton compared to the rest of this roster why am i not winning more matches why am I not if I'm putting out all of these offensive things and I'm wondering if it, it go going back to Cody, if it's the idea that he is putting a lot into just striking or putting a lot into one thing, if he spreads out his um sort of um offense into different categories like Cody does, maybe that can lead to more victories for Kit. I mean the obvious thing also to say is maybe his offense that he's putting in isn't very strong. That's also true. And so to go along with that theory. Um, Kip Sabian has the 28th best strike down rate. So the percentage of strikes that Kip Sabian uses that results in his opponents hitting the deck is 11%. Um, there are 42 wrestlers on this list. Uh, Kip Sabian is 28th. So if you take, you know, his, he's getting in a lot of moves, a lot of strikes, but he's he's going for quantity rather than quality. Yeah. I, I think that's part of the problem. I, I love that. I, I like to imagine that fits perfectly in his character. He's sort of like, I'm, for the most part, I would argue, controlling my matches, but I just keep, I don't, I'm not, I'm not getting, I'm not getting the full victory. What am I doing wrong? So he's like, I like the idea that he is this sort of confident, swaggerish fellow who's like, I'm doing everything right. I don't know. It's just sort of, I'm sort of upset by me not winning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that sort of idea. So yeah, he needs to maybe spread out. And I feel like that's like the one thing that we've definitely learned when it comes to, I should say, when it comes to the men one-on-one division, um, that is something we sort of learned that to succeed in the men's singles division, you need to uh, balance out your moves as much as possible. Mixed, exactly. mixed with, you know, you're talking about Cody a little bit, experience and years of training of you know getting your strength and everything you know you're talking about people that aren't fully there yet like sabian or mjf or darby or whatever they're people that will eventually get higher as years go on i would presume yeah unrefined Uh, perfect uh do you want to talk about uh standard deviations at all craig or do we do we have time um I was supposed to be doing a quiz with my family, I should have said at the beginning so that you were oh, aware, no. but I didn't because I wasn't sure if it was happening or not, and apparently it is. What time is it happening at? Uh, four. And it is four, exactly now. Okay. Um, I could be like 10, 15 minutes late, and that would be fine, but um, I don't really know. Okay, well then let's just end it. I was going to talk about a whole thing. I was going to talk do about... You want, do you want to... I mean, do you want to do that without me? If you want, if you if you think that's okay, yeah, I I I don't mind too much, but I, you did put a lot of work into that, so I don't want to just like scratch it. Okay, well then, uh, I guess uh, we'll say goodbye to Craig here, and then I'll just talk about standard deviations and talk about math for a bit, folks. So please stick around for math talk with Ryan. Um, I'm, yeah, you're the stats guy. I'm the analytics guy, apparently. Is that's what it's turning right. into. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so I guess, yeah, thank you so much, for Craig, for coming on. Any any sort of things, thoughts, or feelings to put out there before this upcoming week? Uh, no, no, I really enjoyed the podcast. I was feeling like really quite angsty at the beginning when we were doing the start-off chat and quite feeling quite chilled out now, so 
obviously engaged with what we were talking about, which is always a good thing. So yeah, um, thanks for the chat. Of course. Anything to plug? Uh, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's fine. You, uh, people, we've spoken about it. People know where to find stuff. I'll, I'll give out the final plugs at the end of the show. Don't, don't you um, read, read, um, read, oh, what's it called? The Crawdads book. Um, the Crawdads. Where the Crawdads Live. That's a really good book. Um, and also read The Silent Patient. Those have been my, those have been my really good reads recently. Not books about wrestling. They're books about people and crimes and stuff. So yeah, um, plug some good books. Where the Crawdads Sing? Yeah. Okay, there. I thought you said look, not book, and I was like, ah, <laughs> you couldn't find it. Uh, where the crawl dogs sing? Yeah, shout out, read some books, everybody. Go out and read yeah. some books. Uh, as we talk about, as as I stick you out after school to talk to you about some math, <laughs> to give you some subbing. Uh, yeah. So yeah, thank you so much, Greg. Uh, go have a good have good have have a good rest of your day, man. Uh, enjoy the rest of yourself today. Cool. That Me sounds too. weird out of phrasing. I don't like I don't like I'm ending the conversation poorly. <laughs> See you, Craig. Bye. Okay, everybody. Uh you're still here. You're after school. You're you've you're after school with the old old sub uh Ryan Knightsey here. Uh thank you everybody for still listening, if you are listening, hopefully. Uh so I would greatly uh obviously appreciate that. Um but yeah, so basically I wanted to talk real quickly. I did a bunch of math. I was talking to my, my math my math man uh utt rob on twitter and we were sort of talking about um the strength of the numbers that we sort of present on the show and that graph we just uh showcased to y'all uh that graph obviously uh and there, there is the thing in stats where uh, where we sort of recognized it oh let me x out that real quick uh, we sort of recognized a little bit that there are outliers. You know, looking at that graph with Moxley, Cody, Sabian, it's easy to say that those three guys are extreme outliers and they are um, what outliers sort of do in sort of the statistics graph realm is that they sort of uh, fudge some of the, they don't like really fudge the numbers, but they can change some aspects of what the graph, what the correlation at the very least is trying to maybe tell us. Um so, you know, Cody and Sabian being very high up there, they're going to make that correlation that you see on your screen right now a little bit more positive than maybe it truly is. Um, so basically, when I was talking to UTT Rob, basically what we want to do is confirm how strong of a correlation what that is and how strong these numbers are. And UTT Rob uh, showcased to me this idea of confidence intervals. Uh, which uses standard deviation and means and whatnot. And I am going to say preface here now, I am your substitute teacher. I am not your actual teacher. So I don't 100% know what I'm talking about. I'll, I will be frank here. I never took stats once in college. I never took physics. I did everything in my power to avoid physics. But I do like numbers and I do like math. So uh, I, I, you know, I did as much as I can the hour and a half before we recorded this show to learn as much as I can about these sort of things and do all the math for you so we can sort of go into that. So when we're talking about the strength of numbers, um, uh, we're talking about how, trying to get rid of these outliers to figure to try to make sure our graph or correlation in our graph is even more accurate. So basically what confidence intervals are, um, let's say you are measuring the height 
of a bunch of men. You know, you have 40 randomly chosen men. Uh, and that the average or mean of that height is, this example provides for me, 175 centimeters. For our uh, American listeners, 175 centimeters in feet is 5.74. I don't know. So something. <laughs> 5.74. So f- five and a half, a little more than five and a half feet, I guess, is the average, the mean of that this population, this selection of the sampling of 40 randomly chosen men. It's probably a sampling because it's just, there's not a population of all men or something. Um, or all men in one area, but it's a sampling of just random men. Um, so what we do from that is we try to figure out from that mean, uh, we try to figure out the standard deviation. So what that means for you folks at home is your mean, if you're looking at that Moxley, uh, Cody graph, that Sabian graph about the offensive offerential difference versus win loss records, basically what the line, that correlation line that we're sort of talking about is in a way, the average, the mean of that numbers, right? Because that's sort of what we're talking about here, uh, as I understand it, I should also say. So what the standard deviation basically means is, is that you are trying to figure out the, um, how, the, see how spread out the numbers are. So basically how far away the numbers are to the actual mean line. So for example, if you're looking at this graph, you have people like, uh, 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 I'm trying to look at it here, like Pack, like Luther, like uh, uh, Nakazawa, like Orange, who are very seemingly close to the line. But then you have people that like are Cody, Moxley, that are very, very far away from the outliers line. So we're trying to get rid of those outliers. That's the whole point of this, right? So we do some math. We're trying to figure out the mean and the standard deviation. So basically what I did or what UTT Rob suggested to me is I took a standard deviation calculator, plugged in all of the numbers for uh, offense four, that offense four category on the left side of your screen, found out what the mean and standard deviation of that was, uh, and then whoever was, uh, let me see if I can pull up the actual numbers here. So what I got from that for offense four, deviation was 102.20 versus the mean, which is 116 of 0.63. And we're doing this to try to figure out again who these outliers are. So we can say uh, that with 95% confidence, the population mean is between 85.3 and 148 based on these 41 samples. So what that means is that the lower limit of our population mean is 85.3. The upper limit is 148. So uh, anyone that is below that or above that would be considered an outlier. And it should be said that this is working with a margin of error of 31.3%. I didn't really understand margin of errors too much, but it's basically I got it or have the sentence here. If a 95% confidence interval, which we're just doing standard deviations, not confidence intervals, but with a uh, 95% confidence with a tw- uh, 31.3% margin of error, means that our statistic will be within 31.3 percentage points of the real population value 95% of the time. 
So you can take it that what you mean. I, I think that means it's like it's sort of it margin of error is basically like saying plus or minus what is it, thirty one point three percent. Um so there is that sort of like gap a fairly large gap when we're talking here but again we're talking wrestlers we're not talking about heights of 40 randomly selected men where most men are falling in this one you know falling within this one category of height you know most people are five nine some people are six you have your outliers like me who are six five but then you also have people that are you know five ten or whatever for the most part I would be considered an outlier in this situation. But when it comes to wrestling, it's all across the board. These numbers are all across the board. So that margin of error is going to be fairly large, honestly, um, no matter what we do. So I took that. I dropped all the outliers. Anyone that was below 85.3 points and anyone that was above 148 points for offense given, I dropped them. That list was a huge list. That list included names like, I'll read it all out here for you. Wardlow, Hager, Cage, Luther, Hardy, Spears, uh, Allen Angels, Press 10, Vance, Billy Gunn, Nakazawa, Orange, Cobb, Kaz, Mark Quinn, Stu Grayson, Santana, Trent, Peter Avalon, Chuck Taylor, Ortiz, Cutler, Stunt, Kiss, Mox, Cody, MJF, Sabin, Omega, Archer, Pac, Guevara, Colt, Dustin. All those people did not meet the uh, uh, population within the boundaries of that population mean um they did not meet the boundaries of that they were all considered as i best understand it outliers um so we can push those people to the side potentially the reason we're not going to pull them out uh put them to the side fully is because we also wanted to look at we only looked at offense four we don't look at the offense against and offense differential so what i went just went through with you about standard deviation of mean we're going to do the exact same thing for offense against and offensive differentials. So for offense against, with 95% confidence, the population mean is between 81 and 139. So basically 95%, 95% chance your population mean is between those two numbers. And for offense differentials, we're talking uh, a mean uh, is between negative 2.82 and 15.8. Uh, based on these 41 samples margin of error for against is 29.2 percent uh for difference is 9.31 percent so a lot of math i'm just throwing at you folks i understand that this is a lot this is a lot for me to understand and i obviously like i said i keep saying i don't really fully understand quite i understand as much as i can to i feel comfortable talking about it but i couldn't be completely wrong and you know for a fact utz rob is going to message me as soon as this is over to tell me how wrong i am but i can and i cannot wait for it and i cannot wait to explain it all again next week uh and be like hey i apologize for this because it's rough and i did not say it correctly but based on what i'm understanding i took the outliers for offense uh taken offense against and the offensive differential and i i have all these this list of names of outliers for offense for offense against and offense difference so if I'm trying to think, I uh, if I'm trying to come up with some sort of, you know, when we're talking about a relationship between offense difference, uh, I don't want to drop this giant list of names, right? So I basically want to see, if we're going to look at this graph, who is a name that shows up on each of these lists, right? You're talking who is someone that is 
who is an outlier, outlier for offense for, outlier for offense against, and outlier for offense difference. And that list of outliers became a lot smaller, but that list became people like Wardlow, Cage, Luther, Nakazawa, Cobb, Grayson, Taylor, Ortiz, Mox, Cody, Sabian, Omega, Archer, Guevara, Pac, Dustin. Uh, so yes, what I can really derive from that outliers is that you have a lot of big guys like Wardlow and Cage who are fairly new, haven't done a lot of matches. A lot of these people haven't done a lot of matches. You're looking at Luther, uh, you know, we're t- again, we're talking singles, one-on-one men's single matches. A lot of these people haven't really done that. Nakazawa, uh, uh, Cobb has only had one match, uh, in Atlanta. Great match. was there for it. Uh, let me see if I can pull up that spreadsheet to get an even more complete answer on these sort of numbers uh Stu Grayson I believe has only had one singles match uh Taylor Ortiz these are all sort of people that have haven't had a lot of singles matches um pulling this up now yes uh Cobb Grayson uh Ortiz Chuck Taylor Luther um uh who else was on Nakazawa these are all people that have had less than five matches. Um, who else am I talking about? Um, Pac has only had five matches of this year. So a lot of these outliers that I've sort of noticed, uh, most outliers, I would say, are people that have had less than five matches uh, in this promotion. Um, you know, people that do not uh, fully... Um, are, are, we can't get good enough data on these people because we don't have enough data to really get from them. So they're sort of outliers. And then there's people like Mox, Cody, Sabian, who are grouped together, and they are, like you saw in that original graph, obvious outliers. You know, let's take them off the board as well. Uh, and then, of course, you know, I, I'm confused. There are some, like, people on here that I'm like, um, Kenny Omega's on this list? What is he doing on here? Uh, he's only had four matches this year in singles competition. He's been focusing on tags. So let's drop him. Um, Pac only has five. Guevara, who is someone that uh, I don't want to give too much uh, nonsense about because of everything that's happening. But Sammy Guevara has only had... Uh, Dustin's only had six matches. Sammy Guevara has only had 13. He actually had the most matches this year? Why is why is Sammy Guevara on here? Hold on, I gotta look into this. Why the hell is Sammy Guevara on here? Why was he an, an outlier for me? Um, 313 offense taken, or sorry, offense given. 295 offense taken. Looking at my list here, why the why the frick frack is Sammy Guevara on this list? I gotta look into this. Sammy Guevara. Uh, 313-4 against... You know what? Let's just drop him. Because, let's just drop him. He, uh, let's just drop him. I'm going to stop talking about Sammy Guevara. I don't want to talk about him anymore. Um, okay, so I dropped all those people. I did took like sort of an average margin of error there. So that average margin of error is now 23.27%. Again, I'm working a lot of... You know, we're combining a lot of things here. So we can say that with 95% confidence... Uh, with a in- interval with a 23.27% margin of error means that our statistic will be within 23.27 percentage points of that real population value 95% of the time. 95%, what does that mean? Basically is that, you know, these are 95% of experiments will incl- be included in the true mean, but 5% won't. So 5% of our roster has been 
deemed an outlier, but it can be off by 23.27% or whatever. As best as I can see it, folks, again, that's what I'm talking about here. So we take that mean and deviation and put it through the confidence interval. We cut all those people that are out in the in the differentials there. And uh, yeah, and we get a new graph, which I can now present to you now. Yeah, we're looking at a new graph. This is, again, the relationship between offense difference and win-loss records. These dots are not currently labeled. Um, they probably won't be when the episode comes out. But we dropped a lot of people. You know, we dropped Mox, we dropped Cody, we dropped Sabian, we dropped all these other guys. And we are now looking at a stronger idea of what the actual correlation between offense difference and win-loss record. Um, and that correlation, still positive, but uh, very much more mild. Uh, very, very slight even compared to uh, the last number. Uh, I didn't have time to do it this morning to really confirm that correlation. Look at all this data, plug it all into the uh, generated calculator that I have um, to get the actual idea of correlation. Again, I'm, I'm just your substitute teacher, folks. But uh, yes, so that is basically what we're looking at. Uh, when it comes to the relationship between offense difference and win-loss record, still slightly positive, but the more uh, matches you win, the more likely it is to win your match. Um, this is a very, I can say this with 95% certainty, um, again, with that margin of error. Uh, but yes, so that is that is basically strength in numbers, folks. That is how I can basically, for the most part, explain to you what we are doing here today hopefully that all made sense uh like i said i learned all this an hour and a half before recording um so i i'm not any sort of expert on this but that is what we're looking at we got a slightly positive uh correlation here which makes sense right uh the more offense you give the more likely it is you would win but this is offense dif differentials so it is that sort of offense give versus offense take so I guess if you uh, tend to give out, dish out more punishment to your opponent than you receive, then you are more likely to win a match versus someone who is um, taking more offense than dishing out versus somebody that is, uh, yeah, I guess that's the thing, versus somebody that is taking more offense than dishing out offense. Uh, if you're a wrestler, you want to be giving out more offense than you are receiving. You want to be basically dominating your opponent um, and have control of the match during the entire match. So that is basically the analysis that I can bring to you uh, on this sort of substitute teacher after school special uh, conversation here. So thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of Wrestling Statistics. A little weird ending here. But uh, uh, like Craig said, he wanted to give me a chance to go through this math with y'all. However long this was, I have no idea. Uh, so yeah, so thank you so much for staying with me here, folks. Uh, thank you so much again for listening to this week's episode. Um, you can follow us both on Twitter. You can follow me at HitTheBooksPod on Twitter. Um, you can also follow Craig at Craig. I always get this wrong because I'm never quite 100% positive, but it's at Craig PW Musings. And you can also go to his website, prowrestlingmusings.com or uh, at PW Musings for just all statistics and analytics and whatnot. 
um, f- instead of hot takes all over the internet, uh, as Craig would maybe describe it. Uh, like I said, you, you can follow me at Hit the Books Pod. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast feed for, to get even more uh, stuff for you. Um, you know, we don't just have wrestling statistics on the show. We also have other shows like um, uh, uh, Hit the Books proper, which was a show that Mikey and I, my friend Mikey and I, go through and fantasy book our own versions of Raw and SmackDown. We have our own rosters. We have uh, our own uh, rosters of people that are actually existing in WWE currently. We have our own, you know, we're writing our own brands of Raw and SmackDown. And we've been doing this every single week for two years, coming up on two years now. So there is a huge plethora of backlog of, of our own alternate universe of WWE. And when I mean alternate universe, literally, the break point was uh, not Hell in a Cell. It was 2018 SummerSlam, I believe, was the breaking point where we broke off from real-life WWE and did our own version. And we try to make the show as realistic as possible. So we'll have injuries and whatnot that happen throughout the show. Uh, and that all gets decided by uh, what you believe whose card was better. So you can get all of that uh, on this podcast feed that you can subscribe to um, right now. Uh, leave a review. We would greatly appreciate it, obviously. Uh, five stars or more. We would obviously 100% appreciate it. The love on Apple Podcasts. Uh, anything else? Um, you can donate. We're on Red Circle, so you can donate to this podcast, and uh, we would obviously greatly appreciate it. I'm not sure if you can leave a note, but if you want to definitely 100% acknowledge that the do- your donations going to Wrestling Statistics, going to what we're doing here, you can go and donate to Red Circle. There's a link in the podcast description below. Uh, we would appreciate anything like that. Uh, like, like Greg said, we're not making any money off of this. We're just doing this out of fun. So if you feel any need or reason to... To, to donate we would obviously greatly appreciate it uh i think that's it that i can think of off the top of my head at craig pw musings at hit the books pod uh thank you everybody so much for listening to this week's episode of hit the books i am very much looking forward to fighter fest this week and more new japan down the line uh uh that's all i can that's all i can say on the matter <laughs> and maybe we'll talk about it next week i don't know uh so until next week have a great week. Enjoy. Please, everybody, enjoy yourselves. Read some books. Uh, take some time. Step away from social media, maybe. Uh, reflect. You know, take care of yourself. Until next time, everybody, have a good week. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.